what were some of the rules that you gave yourself when dating? Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely no eye contact. Uh, no smiling, and if they smile at you, just look away. Just pretty much avoid as much as you can. Like place yourself. Like try to cross paths, but act like you're not interested. Drop a book or some. Oh, you have no idea how many times I dropped books to get the attention of the guy that I liked, but still acted all serious or like I didn't need it. I didn't need his help. <laughs> and then would they pick up the books? Very rarely it happened. A lot of them will walk past me and I'll be like, jerk, inside of me. And now I had to pick up all these books on my own. Or the wrong person would end up helping out and I'll be like, just get out of my way. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> and what was the logic behind no eye contact and no smiling? I think deep inside I wanted to know that the guy liked me without me trying really hard but in reality i was trying really hard to not try right <laughs> so it was a ridiculous game your necessary delusion your necessary delusion why do you keep lying to yourself Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and as the show Friends gradually fades off into the oblivion of history, I am claiming the name back. This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. And if we're speaking to you, then subscribe to the podcast. Write us a review on Apple iTunes. That's the Purple Podcast app. I want to thank all 38 reviews that we have up there right now. I have read them all, and I feel your support, and I really am so grateful. Delusion! But then there's this other thought that surfaces. <laughs> From the ugly underbelly of my necessary delusion from my ego. And that thought is, where the hell are the reviews from the other 40 to 60 people who are listening every week? What, they can't take the two minutes to figure this out for me? And this is also a delusion. <laughs> it is the pettiest part of my ego versus my best intentions, which are gratitude. And it occurs to me that some of you probably wrestle with these same thoughts while you listen to me ask for this. You have empathy, like, oh, sure, I could write him a review and help him grow his audience. That sounds easy. Delusion. And then there's the other voice. Fuck him. Get to the story. This doesn't apply to me. I'm very busy. Oh, Earth Monster, you certainly are. We are all so busy. We actually need to do an episode about that. The busy delusion. Oh, I am so busy. Busy, busy, busy. I'm sorry, I would have called you back, but I've just been so busy. And of course, busy is a real thing because time is finite. But also, we make time for the things that are important to us. So lots of times, the busy delusion is just covering up for apathy. Defined as a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. That checks out. It sounds like the ego. Hey, hey. I do not have interest, enthusiasm, or concern for this. But that language holds me accountable. So what do I do? I blame it on time. I'm very busy. Understood. Don't worry about the review. Thanks for being here. My guest today is my wife, Pow. 
like Pow Pow. And Pow is the person who probably hears the most about my necessary delusions and this podcast because we live together and I am relentless. <laughs> but she really embraces the conversation. She helps me work out my ideas and she lets me tell her the stories as I'm making the episodes. And she even sings the little delusion sting when she hears them happening in real life. I'm like, hey, I'm not gonna finish all those M&Ms. And she's like, delusion. And she even agrees to record with me from time to time. As you heard in the cold open, before Pow and I met each other, she had a serious necessary delusion about how men and women should behave when courting each other, which is perfect because we continue to explore the misguided ways that we attempt to connect. In Pow's mind, women were meant to act like prey and men were meant to hunt. So even though Pow is authentically a real alpha, when it came to dating, she began aggressively acting like she was prey. Here's Pow. I probably started doing it when I was in high school. Yeah, because you were boy crazy from the time that you were a little kid. When Pow was a kid in Mexico, she was super forward. She was always trying to steal kisses from boys in her class. It's so funny how I had guts to do things like that as a child. And then as I started getting older, I had all these rules about dating with no game whatsoever. No game. You would think anyone watching me grow up will be like, oh, this girl's going to have game. She's going to be a heartbreaker. <laughs> complete opposite. And the reality was that you did have game, but you gamed yourself. You, yes. You, you played <laughs> game yourself. Game of one. <laughs> game of one. <laughs> but as she got older, her story changed. Class. I was in love with the idea of love. You know, I grew up watching soap operas. So it was like, oh, I want to be crazy in love too. And a guy chasing after me. And when I tell him no, he forces me to do it anyways. And then <laughs> I just fall into his arms and then we live happily ever after. Sorry, what was that? Not progressive enough for you, Earth Monster? Slow your roll. We are only here to talk about Pow's necessary delusion. And so we are talking about some pretty traditional gender roles. No judgment in the delusion. This is a safe space. It was like a very passionate love. Whatever I saw on TV, that, that's what I thought things were going to be like. So do you think that that's where the necessary delusion came from, was the soap operas? Yeah, I was definitely raised with soap operas. I really didn't have any model for relationships. Mm -hmm. My parents got divorced at a very young age. Or oh, to be quite honest with you, actually, my sister had those kind of relationships. She was mean to the guys and they were crazy about her, both of my sisters. They would hit them, they would bully the guys, they would act like they were naughty. Everything that I try to do, now that I think about it, now that I'm vocalizing everything, I'm realizing I saw my sisters doing this. I saw them in the sub operas and I saw these being super effective with my sisters. We would have guys serenading them in the middle of the night and they would come <laughs> down and like smack the guy and the guy will always come back. But my sisters liked them. They would talk about it. Like, yes, I would like smack him and all that, but I really wanted to kiss him. And to me, it was just like, wow, this works. Da -da delusion. And so I started doing it in, in junior high in Mexico and it worked. All the kids liked me. Now that I think about it, it's when I moved to the U.S. that I try to continue with a toxic pattern <laughs> and it just never worked. It never did. I think that what's most interesting about this is that you're such an outgoing person otherwise. Not only outgoing, but she can be kind of a tomboy. 
like you talk to a lot of people and you're pretty fearless with your personality. You throw mm. yourself out there. You're talking about the person that you met, though. Growing up in Mexico, I was more like the mean girl because that's what worked. Like being the threatening, having the girls feel threatened by me or mistreating the guys and still have them like come after me gave me a sense of power. I mean, imagine a preteen having that level of attention and power. You feel at the top of the world. You really do. And so was it moving to the U.S. that kind of knocked you down from that pedestal? Because I, I don't crushed. know. You, I don't know you to be a mean girl. Oh no, no. At I, all. I think that had I stayed in Mexico, this pattern would have easily continued to be reinforced for several years, and I, would, I probably would have never had awareness of how toxic and dysfunctional that behavior was. But when she was 13, her family moved to the U.S., and so she went from being a cheerleader and a blossoming mean popular girl in Mexico to walking into her first day of high school in California, not even speaking the same language as the rest of the kids. Oh, I was not cool at all. I was in the ESL department, and that was like in high school. Like, that's for the cool people will have us at the bottom. ESL, English as a second language. She says she walked in on the first day terrified. Her parents actually came to school with her. And while part of her wanted them to leave because there is nothing dorkier on your first day of high school than having your mom and stepdad with you, at the same time, she wanted them to stay because being in a new country and a new school and not speaking the language at 14 was legitimately scary. So she had them stay. They actually stood in the corner of the room watching her, worried. Only a few months before, she had been an alpha cheerleader. She was the girl on top of the pyramid. But just like that... She was a dork. I was in the ESL department. Like, that's the hall that where you don't hang out because in that hall, no one speaks English. So I'm saying that maybe that's more like where you kind of got humbled from oh, acting. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely, yes. But the funny thing is that the pattern took several years to break. The pattern of acting aloof and treating guys poorly when she was actually interested in them. The whole idea of being vulnerable and showing interest in a man started at the time that I became uh, a teenager, watching my sisters having these behaviors and being extremely effective. And although it wasn't effective here in the U.S., I still held on to the pride part of it. I, I cannot show that I'm vulnerable. I cannot show interest. Many aspects of it changed, but taking initiative part of it was just forbidden. Forbidden. That is a strong word to use in your story, Earth Monster. I would see my friends taking initiative to flirt with a guy or like, you know, with a smile or, you know, they would lure them with their eyes or something like that. To me, that was just like, wow, <laughs> how could you <laughs> show this level of interest it's just wrong and you shouldn't do that how forward of you to smile yeah how forward yes to me that was very very forward like lack of respect and it wasn't because i was a prude or anything deep inside i wanted to have the balls to do the same thing i just grew up under the impression that it was weak to show to a man that you were interested if he didn't show first that he was interested in you So if the delusion was that it showed weakness yes. or vulnerability to show interest in a man, then what was the fear that was behind the delusion? What was the delusion protecting? Definitely rejection, I think, like a lot of people. I've been in pretty healthy relationships as an adult, and but it's really taken 
for the man to be the first one to give me the assurance that he's interested in me. Like that I keep fighting and fighting and fighting for them to just kind of grab me and be like, listen, I'm interested in you. I want this to work out. Let me try to get this somewhere. Then at that moment, I'll be like, okay, all right, let's, <laughs> let's, let's see what you got. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll put my guard down. But other than that, if a man didn't take the initiative to assure me that what his intentions were and the steps on how he was going to make it and so on, I always acted like I was not interested, even if I was dying inside. It took me after, how old was I? 32 years old after I broke the engagement with my ex-fiance. I was so lost, honestly, after after I broke my engagement because it was like four or five years of like dating the same person. And the interaction, the way that everything worked out with this person is because he was constantly making, uh, in the beginning when we started dating, he made it very clear, kind of cornered me and like, I'm interested. I want to give this a try. So that was what I, I was left off with. And that's all I still knew. So as being an adult and then going back into the dating scene and, and it wasn't hard to get guys to approach me and talk to me. What was hard was to maintain that from my side because I still continued acting like I wasn't interested when I was. Oof, painfully relatable. It's the way that we feel versus the way that we act. And it's our actions that can sometimes feel impossible to change. It's the reason that we feel out of control in the simplest of scenarios. Because in my head, I have a great idea of how I would like this to go. But then it's my behavior that's still all hung up on all of these other ideas that I can't seem to quiet. So Pow found herself post-breakup looking for love and trying to figure out how to show men that she was interested. I had to retrain myself to learn how people date in the U.S. And I took these courses from this Matthew guy, I forgot his last name, Hossie or something like that. And he was breaking things down step by step on how to show interest, on how to lead by model. And I would watch these videos and I would hyperventilate. I would be like sweating just with the thought of like, how am I going to, I can show you the notes that I have. <laughs> She's one of those people. She takes notes on everything. That's true. That's very true. Perhaps you are impossibly unaware that there is a whole population of people out there who don't know how to show that they're interested in someone romantically. My guess is that it's probably more than half of us. <laughs> this Matthew guy apparently had a whole online course about how to get over this. But if you're like me, then taking an online video course about how to date seems like a completely alien concept that I would never try. But Pow is very pragmatic. She's a behavioral analyst by profession, a BCBA. That's board certified behavioral analyst. So even if classes seem like a formal approach, this is kind of how she goes about everything. But listening to Pow talk about this actually opens my mind. Not that I'm looking to learn how to date. I know how to date. Also, I'm married. Also, actually, maybe I don't know how to date. Don't talk me into a corner. Give me an example of what one of his lessons were like. Oh my God, just like how to show interest with your eyes or with a smile or what? like physical touch. He would actually model this behavior in the videos and she would practice. He played a video to kind of model how you can set up 
the occasion for the guy to feel like he has a door open to talk to you. And in this scenario, he had this cartoon, these three girls that were entering the bar and that you spot the guy that you like. And so you approach the bar and then you order drinks for all of your friends, but you bring a jacket with you. And so you leave the jacket on the chair and you tell the guy, hey, would you mind looking after my jacket? I'm going to drop off these drinks for my friends. And so the guy feels like he's the protector of the jacket. And now he has this responsibility to take care of your jacket until you return. And so you come back and you thank him for taking care of your jacket. And then you spark a conversation from there. And to me, to even... (laughs) I couldn't even fathom the idea of me even asking the guy to look at my jacket when I know that I really don't need him to (laughs) watch over my jacket. Because he'd kind of be like, well, why don't you just take it with you? Do you want me to put it on your shoulder? (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. Thank you. You were too proud. Too proud. Too proud. Even if people didn't know that I was trying, just for me to know that I was trying like that, it was just like, I can't do that. Which, like, what a loser way of thinking, really. Did you try this after you saw the video? I, after I saw the video, I, I, I watched other videos too. So I just kind of modify things in a way that I would feel comfortable, like the smile or the eye contact. That didn't come off very natural in the very beginning. My smile was very, like, quirky and, like, I was shaking. Like, you know, when you feel the muscle shaking. (laughs) And you're, like, a grown woman at this point. I'm a grown woman at this point. You had been engaged. And let's be honest, I I could have gotten far if I had a little bit more confidence. Pow is gorgeous. She is smart and funny and successful. She is just one of those magical people that you meet. I mean, she's a real catch. I'm her husband, and I'm going to hold back from going on and on because I don't want to be horribly obnoxious here. But don't get confused. She had every opportunity to meet as many men as she wanted to. Except she had this little delusion blocking her way. I could have had game. Of course. But it's ridiculous to me that you didn't have game. It was me against myself, really. Because you have game in sort of every other area of your life. It just kind of goes to prove that it's very difficult to break a pattern when that's all you know. And even if you know that's that's not effective anymore and it really takes to retrain the whole mindset again and and become comfortable with that idea and accepting of that idea and then testing it out is very nerve-wracking especially when you're an adult i feel but she did it with the same veracity that she used to move to a new country and learn a new language and get her master's in psychology and start her own business and become an indisputable boss She set her sights on learning to show men that she was interested. I did a lot of observing, a lot of people watching and then just kind of like, oh, I see this girl is doing this, this isn't that okay, that works. Oh man, but I just don't have the, the guts to do it. And they make it seem so easy too. I just couldn't make it seem that easy. So it really took for me to like watch these videos and do a little bit of role play with myself and and talk to like a, a friend that I felt comfortable with and seeing like how they did it and so on. I was showing up to these dates already with the idea of you're going to show interest. Even if you're not interested, the, the goal is to practice being interested and being vulnerable and sharing the things that you like and smiling and and be flirty and all that and I did this with people that I wasn't really feeling and so it was great practice for me 
the men that I dated, I know they didn't know that I was in a journey of trying to reinvent myself, like my dating skills that I had just learned and I had to practice them. And so I, I was pushing myself so much to show that I was interested, that I'm afraid that I probably sent the wrong message because my journey, they were part of that journey and that opportunity for me to practice something mm -hmm. that was so unfamiliar to me. And But it wasn't natural. And I'm afraid that I let them on. And they're probably confused. Like, well, she seems so interested. You know, but in reality, it was my journey of trying to like shape up a new behavior that I was not familiar with. I feel really bad that I had to like eventually let them know like, hey, no, I, I don't think there's going to be a second date. They were probably very confused. Yeah. Like, what the fuck happened here? Like, we had, am we had amazing dates in their heads and <laughs> I made sure that we did because I had a different agenda. I'm so glad that you wanted to make that point because I think that's something that we don't talk about a lot people don't talk about a lot is the times that we practice on each other yeah it seems like you were pretty conscious of your practice but when you say that i think back on some relationships at certain points in my life i think that i was trying to work out some of my own habits and trying to be better but in the end it turned out to be practice even though that wasn't like a i didn't know that you know right all of us have gone through it where you're like what the hell happened with this person like yeah. how did they end up ghosting me after such an amazing date after such an amazing time there was this connection and so on you never know what was going through their head you never know how genuine that really was and it had nothing to do with you it has to do with their state of mind where they're at at that moment what their motive is maybe you're just that stepping stone for them to work on whatever shit they have to work on and doesn't mean that you're not good enough it doesn't mean that it's just you don't have control over where those people are right in that moment like mentally i think when you think about those things it's easier to let go and to not fixate on things that you just don't know and just let it be and move on I feel like it's important to point out that when Pau talks about this conscious practice that she was doing, she was only going on one or two dates with each person before cutting things off. The kind of practice that I'm talking about has always been a lot more buried. Buried in the delusion that I am a selfless, empathetic, good person 100% of the time. Delusion! Wow, you can really hear the delusion when I say it right out like that, can't you? Because none of us are good, selfless, empathetic people 100% of the time. It's not in our nature. We are nothing 100% of the time. We are consistently inconsistent. And I really do believe that none of us are good if you judge us by our worst days. Sorry, did I just get way too deep there for a minute? The practice thing really resonated with me. Because for as much as we hate to admit to it, we are all constantly practicing. Practicing it being better. And we are all constantly failing in that process. So where do you feel like your dating abilities were by the time we met? When you met me, you would have never thought that this was my... Definitely not. My history. No. Because I did let you know that I was interested. Pow and I met on a dating app. My first message to her was, I think you're out of my league. Haha. -ha. And I wrote out the haha, -ha, which was obviously a line. Admittedly, she was the first person that I wrote this to because her pictures and profile actually made me think that she was out of my league. But then as soon as I sent it, it sounded so good that I just copied and pasted it to like a bunch of other people. <laughs> 
She was the only one to respond. You let me know that you were interested from the very beginning. Not when we started texting, though. No. I was interested in you, but not enough to, like, fully no. become vulnerable. We only texted for about a week before we met in person, but in the beginning, she would only text me back once a day at 7.30 in the morning. And so I would text her back right away, like, good morning, what are you going to eat for breakfast? And then I would wait all day for her to respond. And she never would until the next morning at 7.30. And my phone would ding and wake me up. And I was like really wanting to talk to her. And she'd be all casual, like, oh, not much of a breakfast person myself. And so I would just play along and be like, oh, I'm a three cup of coffee a day kind of guy myself. Or whatever dumb thing that I would text. The subtext was always, I'm a gentle, reasonable person who's not going to chop you up and feed you to crows. Anyway, for probably three days, she would only text me once a day and always at 7.30 in the morning when she woke up. But her messages were not without enthusiasm. There was just a lot of time in between to wonder. So on the fourth day, I text my dumb, non-threatening comment, and then I wrote, I will be waiting excitedly by my phone for your reply at 7.30 tomorrow morning. And all of a sudden, the conversation started to take off. You made it clear like, hey, you're not texting back fast enough. You're only doing it at 7.30 in the morning. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, he's been vulnerable enough to tell me this. And I, I got to shape up. It was, part of the sh- it was part of the change, you know? Like, you got to shape up, woman. This person is telling you in your face that you suck at this. <laughs> Do something about no, it. No. In my head, that's what it was. But I wasn't nearly that aggressive about calling you out. Oh, I know. But I know in my head, I had to make it sound like it was that aggressive. Because if I cared, I had to make the change. I couldn't look the other way and just be like, well, if you're interested, then prove it because I'm going (laughs) to act like I don't care when I do. I couldn't do that anymore. I had to give it a try. So we agreed to meet in person for the first time on a Sunday night. And so you came to the restaurant, seeming very interested. You came in with a big smile on your face. You gave me a big hug. You were chatty. I was trying really hard there, okay? I was like, just be yourself. You gave me lots of eye contact. I was talking a lot. You told me all about yourself. Oh, yeah, I was very nervous that night. Oh, gosh. God knows I was trying really hard to not regress to my old ways. It felt so natural and comfortable. And, of course, I was super nervous in the very beginning. But as we started to talk, it's so funny. I did doubt myself many times. I caught myself talking a little bit too much. And so I was like, okay, okay, okay. You gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta let him talk too. I was trying to be the opposite of what I did before. And so this time I knew I had to show that I was interested too, but I was overdoing it. You know, every time you learn a new skill, it's the same thing. You overdo it until you find that balance. I was trying to wake up from my own delusions about relationships at that point, trying to get back to the basics. See, I had gotten into a pattern too, a pattern of going on really fun dates with people that I had nothing in common with. But with a few drinks and jokes and some good eye contact, who says the fact that we have nothing in common has to stand in the way of us wasting each other's time? I had moved into a new apartment by myself. It was too big for me, and it was lonely. It was one of those moments when I felt my life slipping away from me. Like I need to get back into the driver's seat and make some decisions. So I made a rule for myself. Nothing physical on the first date. Come on, that is what my therapist would have called growth. No sex with strangers, essentially. I also embraced my giant one-bedroom apartment. I bought furniture to fill the rooms. I bought a couch and a coffee table. It was the kind that raised up so that you could sit straight up and eat dinner on the couch while you watch TV. And I got plants, and I hung art, and I installed a giant dry erase board on my living room wall. 
floor to ceiling, 20 feet long, because that is just the kind of earth monster that I am. And while I put the apartment together, I lulled myself into submission with a little necessary delusion to push me. If you build it, she will come. That if I made the house a home and I focused on the things that made me happy, soon it would be full of life. I remember daring the universe to complicate things for me, to bring someone who challenged me and pushed me, instead of holding on so preciously to my privacy and space, instead of methodically looking for the type of person who would share my interests and allow me to continue with my bullshit uninterrupted. I let my story go off. I said, surprise me, which was essentially to say that I was hoping to surprise myself. When I practiced with you, it became so natural. And I came to the realization that I could have done this with so many other people and still have that feeling of like an empty emptiness that I am trying, but there's no natural reinforcement, like really that that, that mix that fulfills you, yeah. you know, until you practice it with the one person that just feels so natural. And that's the real reinforcement. You can keep trying and trying and trying, but sometimes when you try with the right person, that's when you know that it, all the work that you put into it was totally worth it. <laughs> we were both a little nervous showing up at the restaurant. She talked too much and I was sweating through my polo shirt. But we sat at the bar and hardly drank, and after about 10 minutes, we let the nervous laughter burn off the top of the conversation, and we told each other who we were. But we didn't just march out the best ideas that we had about ourselves. We told each other our stories. But now that I know you, I think that you presented yourself similarly to the way that I've seen you present yourself to new people when you first meet them. Not love interests, but like when I've introduced you to my friends and family and stuff, you certainly engage with them in a similar way it was just with relationships i'm very different as a friend than i am as a in a relationship yeah you would have never thought that wait what you were this person when you were dating you can just be yourself and you'll be just fine i just couldn't be myself it's hard to imagine it now well i'm not planning to go out and date anymore so no. i'm golden <laughs> <laughs> i'm good to go a part of the story that feels relevant to bring up is that true to Pau's original delusion, I made it very clear that I was interested. And so did she. We went on two more dates that same week. And not too long after, my home was full of life. She started spending every night with me, and I encouraged her to bring some stuff over so that she could leave and go straight to work in the morning. I will never forget what she said. Babe, you have no idea what you're asking for right now. And she was right. Soon, my big one-bedroom apartment was full of Pau's life, sprawled across every surface. It happened overnight. One minute, the place was tidy, and the next minute, she had a flat iron plugged in full-time to the bathroom counter, which could sometimes make it complicated to navigate my morning routine. Also, she's a bachata dancer, so I'm learning to do that now. She is full of surprises, and I couldn't have imagined the real fullness that her presence brings to my life. I want to thank Pau for her story today and for always being willing to hash out the important delusions with me. Pau, your voice brings so much clarity to my life, and I love you. If you want to follow Pau on Instagram, you can find her at Blanc underscore Pau. That's Blanc, B-L-A-N-C underscore Pau, P-A-O. Or if you're interested in hearing more about behavior analysis from her, you can find her professional Instagram at your.behavior.mentor. At your.behavior.mentor. Thanks!
Thank you for being here with me today, Earth Monster. I'm not going to ask you to write us a review, but if you have love for the show and you want to support us, you can send us $1.43 to at your necessary delusion on Venmo, and we will feel that love. I'm looking for good stories all the time, so if you have a necessary delusion of your own and you want to share it, you can reach out to me on Instagram at yesmatthew or email us at yournecessarydelusion at gmail.com. Necessary is N-E-C-E-S-S-A-R-Y, Earth Monster. I see you. Do not forget to subscribe to the podcast because we have got new epic everyday stories of success and redemption coming out for you every Monday. We'll see you next time. My baby. Good beat. Good what? Good beat. What's beat? Good last beat. Good final beat for your story. Good final beat for that story. Like a beat sheet? Like a story's broken up into different Something's beats? Something's good, baby. Something about this is good. <laughs> I don't need to understand the beat or anything. Like, okay, I get it. Something's good about what I just did.